A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. Donald Trump and the Republican convention are dominating the news agenda this week. At the same time, the dollar is on the march again. What does that mean for the world's economic prospects and for rates? I'm Roger Blitz. Welcome once more to Hard Currency, our weekly podcast on all things Forex from the Financial Times. If the dollar is rising, does that mean the market is ignoring the idea of a Trump presidency? or instead simply believes that the risk of a Trump presidency is minimal. Well, with me to discuss these things in the studio is Jordan Rochester, Global FX strategist at Nomura. Jordan, you're following the Trump impact on the convention. It's too early at the moment to say whether he's going to get, say, a bounce in opinion polls from what's been happening in Cleveland this week. In terms of the bounce, the research on that is typically after both conventions for the Republican Party with Trump and also for the Democrats with Clinton is both candidates will receive a boost. Because of the way uh, the sequence of events happens, it's the Republican Party convention first. And if you look at 538 sort of analysis on this, you see at least on average a 3% increase in Trump's support following that. If that's what the sort of prediction would be. And then after Clinton's, the Democrats convention in a few weeks time, you then have a similar way. So it's, it's a well known phenomenon. If you look over the years in US presidential election races, it's very rare for it not to be there. Only Romney was the example where it went negative. For okay. The, for the candidate. When is the market going to start really taking note of the election race? So I think for the market, first of all, Donald Trump's chances are 37%, according to the forecasting efforts by 538. So for now, it's the tail risk. And if we compare that to Brexit, the politics drives markets when it has a quantifiable impact and the sort of probability where it becomes your baseline. In terms of this, it's not people's baseline yet that Trump wins. The Clinton is the favourite candidate to win. So for markets, it's if that probability shifts higher. So if we get within 40 to 50%, so if we're talking 45. Okay. So at the moment we are at the moment Trump is at what? 37. 37. So it's possible, but this is the local high, so it hasn't been higher than 37. So mm. if this continues on a trend, then markets might have to do a rethink. But at the same time, markets are quite short term in the way they trade markets. Mm. So Trump comes in on November 8th, say, hypothetically, if he wins on November 8th, then obviously the market will be reacting and following it very closely, but because we're still a few months away, the market's more focused on the grab for yield and opposed to the US okay. data. And we think, what, the TV debate is a good moment to take note? It's when the polling starts to become a bit more ferocious. Which so is when? September? Late September. Late September. So, uh, when you get those first TV debates, people were reacting to how Trump did. Mm-hmm. And you have a few. Uh, you have several. I think it's in excess of four. So you all have a rolling monologue of how Trump's performing versus Clinton and mm. also what that means for the polling. What's very interesting is we focus on the research we do on the swing states. So on the whole of the US, in terms of the polling, you can look at the national polls, but we've learned from Brexit and other political events as well that polling is not always your best measure for who <laughs> Tell wins. us about it. <laughs> so one interesting thing is doing statewide polling on uh, Florida. Uh, so since 1992, you haven't won the presidency without winning Florida. The irony is 1992, that's when a Clinton was also on the ticket. Trump's chances, according to the forecasting models we've seen of winning Florida, are within a whisper of winning. So around 497 <laughs> So if he wins Florida, it's actually 
potential that he wins presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has to obviously win the other swing states, Ohio and so forth. Okay. So that's why we don't think it's time to rule out his chances. Something to keep an eye on. But there's a few more events in between then and now that the markets will be reacting to. Well, we can, we can tell the market isn't taking any notice because the dollar is going up. Why do you think the dollar is improving? Well, the dollar is improving because you have a sort of repricing of the Fed. So in the morning of Brexit, you actually had cuts priced into the Fed curve, right? So we've had some better recent US data. The global outlook is not as gloomy as some people had feared. So that's dollar supportive usually. In terms of other sides of the coin, you have more easing on the way, perhaps, from the Bank of Japan, and, of course, the ECB as well. So these are both dollar-supportive in that respect. Although Kuroda on Thursday morning has seemed to go away from an easing policy, or at least the, the helicopter money idea, and that's moved the yen, hasn't it? So it's moved the yen, that's correct. So in terms of the sort of comments from Kuroda, the helicopter money side of things is an extreme policy to put out. So to start talking about it openly as if it's on the cards mm. would be quite a surprise to the markets as yes. well. But there was an inherent hope, a high hope, from the, some people in the market out there, which has moved uh, the yen this morning. But in terms of monetary policy views, he kept it quite the same. So, you know, more policy is a good thing. But others might do, the ECB might do, the BOE, the Bank of England is clearly on, that's on the cards. Are we back into the discussion that we've had on and off for much of the last 12 months about rate divergence? Yeah, so after Brexit, rate divergence was the sort of topic du jour of the day because you have Bank of England easing on the way. And for us, it was actually quite frustrating because the market underestimated that until Carney came out and gave us a nice speech. That speech kind of saw the opposite happen, though. The market got a bit too excited. And in terms of the July meeting, they didn't act as soon as some people had hoped and they didn't cut. Now we're going around to the August meeting when they released a quarterly inflation report of all the forecasts. So the Bank of England might do another 25 basis points cut. That's our sort of view, down to 25 basis points. There are some people out there, though, looking for 40 to 50. And that's one of my issues in terms of markets. We tend to get quite ahead of ourselves and expect quite a lot from policymakers. If the Bank of England does do 50, it will drag on the pound. It will become as a surprise. The market's pricing less than 25 basis points now especially after comments from MPC members such as Forbes and Wheel, which has kind of lowered the uh, possibility of a cut. But the, the, the Fed futures market is now pricing in a kind of what, a 43% possibility of a December hike. I mean, is the market dipping its toes again into this or is there much conviction behind it? I think the market's just correctly pricing in the probability considering the data's not been so bad. Policymakers haven't been pushing back on any of this move. And also the sort of survey data, we've got very few data points after the Brexit. But from the the way the market's looking at it so far, at first it seemed quite complacent, but the data has also not been that horrific either. Mm. We are waiting for what happens in the UK with the flash PMIs on Friday. If we see a big deterioration there, people might reassess that. But it's more of a localised issue rather than a global one. So the sort of mindset of the Fed to hike some point this year is a possibility. I think 43% is probably fair. It will be the sort of non-farm payrolls data. Like I said, the market's very short term. It'll be fully priced by the time we get there, which will be around November time. So when we get the, the non-farm payrolls data for November, people will be able to say yes. what's going to happen. I mean, the market's got plenty of reason not to get excited about rate divergence. I mean, we've had a number of we blithely call shocks in recent times. We've had mm. Brexit, Turkey, even China's devaluation, all of which seem to have left the market broadly unmoved. First of all, do you agree with that? And if so, why do you think that is? Let's go through the three. So which one was first? Brexit. Brexit. Okay, so Brexit was, you know, the divorce of the UK from the EU. 
this was very much a UK issue and also an EU issue. So contagion is built now around the market. The, UK. the market has obviously looked at the risks of contagion uh, in terms of pricing. It in, it's very hard because, first of all, we don't even know what terms the UK will leave. So we've, the way we look at it, there's the two terms, soft exit and hard exit. Okay. So it's, we, we apply a sort of game theory approach to it. So if the UK pushes for a hard bargain, so if we have single market access, but also complete control over immigration and full sovereignty, the issue is there the EU doesn't want to give us too good of a deal to then encourage other members of the EU to perhaps look to break away in the your, future. Your point here is that it's clearly just a UK issue. In the- so my point is it's the UK issue and the markets in terms of pricing in a contagion risk there might be one, but mm. it's so far away down the timeline so far away. and very vague because we don't know what the UK is asking for either. S- similarly with Turkey, is that a contagion? Is that a quarantine issue? Is it just a, a Turkish story? For now, it, I mean, we had the credit downgrade as well in Turkey. We had the uh, rate cut as well. So, so it's been very much Turkey-focused right now. And the fact the military coup failed. So if it hadn't, hadn't failed, this might be a different story. But with the government still in power, it seems to be a localised issue for now. Does that have a contagion impact? I don't think so at this stage. And China's devaluation, I mean, big scare for the market in August mm-hmm. and in January. It's carried on devaluing even at a pretty pretty fair lick, but the market doesn't seem to be worried. Well, the market realised that August was, the question was, is this going to be a deval followed by further devaluations? So is this going to be an aggressive devaluation? The market, if you look at the forwards, that was pricing in that, that was definitely the market's worry. So this time round, the market's gotten used to the sort of gradual depreciation of uh, the roomie. And the point I want to make here is the other side of the coin was capital outflows. Mm. So with the devaluation, it shocked the local investors too. And the issue was, does capital outflows drive Rumi very weak at a sort of pace that's not very comfortable for the market? And actually, if you look at the data, it's not been so worrying at all. So we've had a sort of smooth depreciation of the RMB. That's why it's not had a huge global worry like we had in August. Again. So to conclude, therefore, do we exaggerate the term shocks, potential shocks to the market? Or do we say, well, actually, they happen so frequently that the market kind of get, gets used to it? There's always been shocks in markets. You have to you can look over the history of the last 30 years. There's been many shocks to talk about. We could go through a history lesson. So there's always things that will stump us, will catch us off our guard in terms of our reactions to it. It's probably non-linear. So if the market thinks that it's a big deal, like the August Chinese renminbi, it's always the expectation of more to come, which is what drives it. If the market thinks that there's not much more to come and they can adjust. So that's the sort of difference, I would say. With Brexit, if the market had priced in more to come, i.e. a tear away of France from the EU or Netherlands, that's when things become a shock. They don't do that right now, so that's why we're not having it. What should we be shocked about? What's keeping you awake at night finally, Jordan? What's out there we haven't really taken into account, but we really is coming up, you know, fast and furious? It's more of a general theme, I would say. So what kind of keeps me up at night is uh, the fact that a lot of the consensus trades out there are due to the fact that we've had a lot of central bank forward guidance. So I think back to October when the ECB signaled that they might do something in December. They did. But what sort of worries me is how much the market took that as gospel. And in fact, they're so used to the ECB surprising us, I say with inverted quotation marks, that they price in too much. So each time we have an event, the market goes a little bit too far on the monetary policy side, I mean. So the things that we can sort of predict with a gauge, with an actual date set, is monetary policy meetings of each central bank. So Bank of Japan next week, we expect a 10 basis points cut, for example, and we expect them to double their ETF purchase program. 
That's quite a punchy uh, call. That's quite a good move in monetary policy easing. Uh, the problem I face is a lot of competitors in the market also think the same. And in fact, there's a few outliers that always seem to think more is to come. Mm. So what we've seen over time is monetary policymakers are gradual. They try to do their best and they try to do it gradually. They don't try to, I say again, another term, do a bazooka every time. But there's people who get quite excited and it actually makes it very hard to trade. So if you think monetary policy easing's on the way, it's quite a good, nice monetary policy divergence trade. But actually what I've found is holding the trade, trying to trade the difference between the interest rate of the different central banks works up until the actual meetings itself. Mm. So historically, you see that as well with the Fed. So we looked back until the 1980s, and every single Fed hike, hiking cycle, has been preceded by a dollar strength. But then when you actually got to the hiking cycle itself, so when the market had priced it in, the dollar did very well, which is what we saw in 2015 as well. But then once the actual hiking cycle starts, it's not a clear way. So it's the gulf between expectation and the actual. That's right. That's what you're scared about. My thanks to Jordan Rochester at Nomura. Do please keep up to date with all the FX news on the FT's website, ft.com forward slash markets. We'll be back for the next instalment of Hard Currency a week today when we discuss how far other central banks have been prepared to ease monetary policy further. Join us again next week. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists, as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week.